All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome. Um, gosh, it feels like forever since we've actually been gathering around to talk about Revelation, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> but it's nice to be back and to be settled in. Um, uh, before we dive into anything, any questions that you have for me? Yeah. Now, this bulletin is a little peculiar. I didn't know that Jesus owned a Russian wolfhound. It's not. It's uh, I don't know. It's the you know, the whole dog reference in the in the gospel reading today. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting an interesting uh, painting. painting. Yeah. I have half the fun of my week, y'all, is looking for what I put on the cover of the bulletin. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to find a good piece of artwork that captures something about one of the readings. Sometimes it's easy, and sometimes it's really hard. Um, all right, any other questions? Serious <laughs> question. I'll take them all. I don't care. <laughs> well, I will say good. that we are playing Pinochle Friday night. Okay, so it's is it always first, first Friday? It's going to be the second right now. Okay, okay so second Friday, Pinochle Friday, 6 o'clock set up, and then 6.30 game start. And it's down in the Life Center, and, and everybody's welcome. Yeah, come If you don't know how to play, we'll teach you how to play. <laughs> you'll teach the actual rules, too, right? You won't, like, make us look bad or anything. Uh, the rules? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are a few people that are <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How much do we need to bring for the gambling? Just bring something to eat. Oh, I like it. I like it. All right, I'm just, I'm burning up. It's so hot. Um, all right, any other questions? Yeah, HT. You're so an excellent job. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for filling in. I really appreciate you, Pam. Yeah, what did y'all talk about? Feasting. What was it? Feasting. Oh, cool. Fasting. Okay. Yeah, good. Sean five. Awesome. Good. Did y'all learn anything? Yeah, I was just disappointed that she didn't even bring donuts. <laughs> <laughs> she was she was pressing hard on the fa fasting side. Luke five. Luke five. Luke five. Luke five. I know where I got John from. <laughs> He's right close by. All right. Um, our opening devotion here is from Genesis chapter nineteen, verses twenty-four and twenty-five. This, if y'all didn't know it, I this is a little book called By Faith Alone. Um, it's a series of devotions written by Martin Luther, one for every day of the year. And I just always read whatever the days is, and it's kind of fun to see how it ties into what we're talking about. Um, so the passage from Genesis 19, the Lord made burning sulfur and fire rain out of heaven on Sodom and Gomorrah. He destroyed those cities, the whole plain, and all who lived in the cities. And the title of this is God's Commands Are Necessary. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah shows God's fierce anger being poured out on sinful people. Reflecting and meditating on this story is an unsettling experience. That's why I'm deeply moved whenever I read or speak about it. Even though I'm often furious at wicked people who refuse to change their ways, the terrible suffering and agony that took place at Sodom upsets me. I also feel the mental anguish that Abraham suffered when he interceded with God. Though the wicked people of Sodom refused to change, Abraham sincerely hoped that disaster wouldn't fall on them. Today, some people want to de-emphasize God's commands. Now, he wrote this in like the 1500s, y'all, but... Okay. Uh, today, some people want to de-emphasize God's commands. They think that people should only be treated with love and tolerance and shouldn't be frightened by examples of God's anger. Well, Paul says quite the opposite. In the letter to the Corinthians, he tells many stories about God's anger against sinners. And then he states, those things have become examples for us so that we won't desire what is evil as they did. 1 Corinthians 10.6. Arrogant and stubborn people despise the word of God and they laugh at well-intentioned words of caution. They feel so good about themselves that whenever anyone tells them about the extent of God's mercy and undeserved kindness, 
It only leaves them worse off than they were before. This is what happens when people try to get rid of God's commands. We must guard against this false teaching. It's not enough for these people to bring destruction on themselves. They intend to drag us down with them. Like the people of Sodom, they don't realize that their sins will soon be punished. And, and the point, of course, is it can't be all gospel. It's law and gospel. We speak God's word, which, you know, this is Confirmation 101, right? We speak the law, and the law always condemns us, always shows us a mirror of our own sinful nature, but it also prepares us to hear the gospel and to understand um, who our Savior is. But the law's got to be there. You can't just toss out the law. You've got to have both. Um, all right, let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the rain that fell overnight, uh, nourishing the earth and reminding us of how you pour your blessings out on us. Uh, we thank you for the word that you have given to us and the opportunity to gather around it and to learn from it. Um, today, as we study the word of Revelation, we pray that you would comfort us with these words, that you would help us to remember that our faith is rightly placed in your son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for that gift as well. Be with us as we study. Uh, send your Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our hearts that we might um, read and understand the truth that you want us to take from it. We ask it in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're, so we're in Revelation chapter 7, um, and if you've got the sheet, it should say the number 8 up in the top corner. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read chapter 7 just so we have that fresh in our minds because it's been a while since we've gotten together, and then we'll jump in. I think we're on question number 8, um, and we got two, three questions to go, but there's like parts, pieces parts, so that should keep us occupied. Uh, Revelation chapter 7. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees, until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And I'll skim over this a little bit. 12,000 from each of the tribes, Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Here ends the reading. Thoughts. Observations, comments, anything that jumped out and bit you as you were hearing that? No wonder they didn't think that the earth was square. Or <laughs> 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 flat. <laughs> four Where do we, do we have the four corners? Yeah. I've been to four corners. <laughs> <laughs> I saw. I saw a thing the other day from the, uh, this, who knows, this is probably fake, but it was the, the Society of Flat Earth, yeah. whatever. But it said, we have 
we have followers all around the globe. <laughs> so, so there you have it. <laughs> what else jumped out at you? Anything? I still think the greatest thing that you read in all of this is we washed our they washed their robes in blood and they came out white. Yeah. Have we got blood on them? Yeah, that's a little counterintuitive. It, isn't it? <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah. So I mean, and and you know that kind of highlights the fact that so much of what's going on in Revelation, you've got to read it for for what it is. It's, there's there's metaphor, there's symbolism, there's a there's a lot of poetic stuff going on in the way that's being written and and obviously there's not a literal sense of that of you know blood making something white but but what we do get is this image of of the blood of Christ actually cleansing us of our sins and, and bringing us out pure um, in a way that we could never do ourselves so yeah it's that's cool what else other thoughts okay um so we'll jump in. We're at question number eight on the sheet. Um, God says he will feed his redeemed and lead them to living water in verse 17. We're kind of toward the end of this lesson here. Um, Psalm 23. Anybody know it from memory? Can you just recite it right off the top of your head? I know a lot of people can. Can you? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Probably most of you who know it know it in King James, right? That's the one that we're so used to hearing all the time. Yeah, that's like uh, the catechism. Yeah, exactly. Except you can't put the things in it now that aren't in it now. Right. So, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Um, Think about that psalm. We use that psalm in a lot of different ways, but, but probably most prominently in the context of a funeral. Why do you suppose that is? Take away fear. Fear. Okay, well, take away fear. Talk more about that. How does it take away fear? Well, it's reassurance. It's that promise, right? Yeah. That, that comfort of... of being in God's presence forever, right? That it sort of takes death out of the picture in a sense and says, you know, come what may, including death, I know that I'm always going to be with the Lord. It's You said the word promise, which I think is really, really important. Yeah. What else? They took it out of the fourth Took what out of the fourth commandment? The promise. In the new catechism. Well, they didn't take it out. It's still there. All you do is look at it. Well, they just changed it around. It is the only... Command that has a promise, and that's the yeah, fourth <laughs> commandment: honor your father and your um, honor your father and your mother, so that all will go well with you in the land and so forth. Well, I have five children. I could every one of the confirmation class. I could work every bit, and then the last two they changed. Yeah. Use a different catechism, I guess. I yeah. I couldn't no longer work. Well, I knew it the way they did. <laughs> well, I went. promise you that there are pastors in the world who still talk about the promise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, we had it for our wedding text. Oh, interesting. So, cool. You know, I guess funeral weddings. So death to your hearts, I promise you. There's going to be a lot of chaos either way, right? <laughs> what? So how does that? How does that speak to you? I mean, what is the power of those words? I don't need to be afraid because I know that Christ is with me through all of it. That he's always there no matter what happens. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I mean, because to me it's all about death. I mean, you're, yeah. you're dying. Yeah. 
So that it's always that that comfort and presence. Here's an interesting, just a little side note for you. Um, it, verse six of it is surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's what uh, King James translates it as. Um, as does ESV, shall follow me all the days of my life. The interesting thing about it is that the Hebrew that's underneath that is literally translated, um, will pursue me. So it's actually a lot stronger than this notion of it just kind of following you around. There's this notion that, that goodness and mercy is kind of chasing you down. Exactly. Yeah. God's goodness and mercy is coming after you, is always there pursuing you and, and is right there with you at all times. I think that's a pretty, pretty neat way to understand that and to, and to get this sense of God coming for you, right? In a, in a positive way that he loves you and he cares about you and he's always going to be with you and he's always coming after you. Um, and, and that's important because you know, we remember that in our sinfulness, Paul says you were dead in the sins and trespasses in which you once lived. And the only way to get out of that is that somebody came after us, that somebody reached down and grabbed a hold of us and brought us up out of death, literally, to life. And that's the Holy Spirit. That's the work that the Holy Spirit does to reach down and grab us and bring us to faith and bring us to life. So, so I, I love that, just that little insight into the Hebrew underneath that. Any goes other? into the good shepherd. It leaves us flock to go after that one sheep. Yeah, no yeah. What. yeah, we get that in Matthew. He talks about that, the, the idea of the shepherd who's always pursuing. Pursuing um, the lost sheep. Even the one who wanders away. Yeah. Any well, other thoughts? I think the, the thing that provides so much comfort from this psalm is nowhere in it does it say you have to do something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. All through it is, even though I'm going to go through this or that, mm -hmm. I'm not alone. Yep. Yep. I've got everything I need. Mm -hmm. And look who's doing it all. The subject of all the verbs is the Lord. Yeah. Who's doing the verbs. Yeah. I think that's, a, that's important. What else? Other thoughts? Okay. Um, so, let's talk about the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. This is question number 9. Um, John chapter 4, verses 7 to 30. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just read it, and then we'll, we'll talk through some of this stuff. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, 
I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and they were coming to him. And it goes on from there. Um, just a couple of things that jumped out at me. Um, there's an interesting, I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. The one that jumped out at me really was this, this woman's knowledge that there would be a Messiah, that God had promised a Christ who would come. The, we get both of the words in the reading here. I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. Um, what that really grasps is sort of the, the reality of the language of the time. Um, Messiah would have been the Hebrew word, Mashiach. Um, but Christ then captures the Greek word, Christos. Same meaning. Um, but it's sort of, that sort of is a nod to the Roman occupancy and, and all that's, that's going on. But, but so she's got this understanding that a Messiah is coming, that God has made a promise about somebody who was going to come and restore his people and all that kind of business. And Jesus is, this is about as blunt as it ever gets, where he says, I who speak to you am he. And, and, you know, you get people who are like, well, Jesus never said he was the Messiah, or Jesus never said he was God. or you know, It doesn't get much clearer than this about what claim Jesus is making about himself and about who he is and about what his role is. So that, to me, is pretty cool. The other thing, and this is just a, an interesting kind of parallel within Scripture, when, when Jesus says to her, when she says, you know, I, I don't have a husband, and he goes, yeah, yeah, you're right about that. Um, <laughs> and, and sort of goes a little further. You know, you've had five husbands, and the one you have now isn't your husband. There's an interesting parallel, actually, in Scripture that her history actually parallels the history of Samaria. Um, in a sense, she represents Samaria as a whole. Because if you look back at Samaria... Samaria has this whole history of kind of following other gods and all this kind of stuff. And so you, if you wanted to really dig into it, 2 Kings chapter 17 gives you some of this. Um, but specifically, let me get it to you. 2 Kings 17 verse 24. Um, the king of Assyria, this is where, where Samaria comes from. Um, the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvaim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. So there's your five husbands or your five nationalities who get all brought together into Samaria that create the people who are in this place. And so what's interesting about what's going on here in this discussion is she becomes sort of the representative for all of the Samaritans and their history and what has gone on and how they have sort of wandered away from um, God's word. And she's standing here talking to the one who is Israel reduced to one. So Jesus Christ is the embodiment of all of Israel. He's, he's the one who stands in for when the Exodus happened and, and it, it didn't play out well because the people kept wandering away from God. Now what Jesus is going through is really the Exodus reenacted with him as, the, as Israel. And he's going to do everything right and perfectly to accomplish the real Exodus that matters, which is bringing us into the promised land of being in God's presence forever. Okay? So there's this interesting parallel going on here about him talking to this woman from Samaria as the Christ, as the Messiah, and her recognizing who he is and them kind of having this exchange. Does that make sense? It's just sort of peeling back some of the complexity of the story. How, how did she have that knowledge? Well, she probably didn't. She didn't. And that's, that's I mean, those are the kind of things where you look at and you go, oh, wow, I can see how God was right in this. I mean, the care of Sunday school? Yeah. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah. I mean, they certainly studied scripture and that sort of thing. The Samaritans weren't really Jews. So. Not really, but kind of. You know, they sort of separated from the Jews, and so they had some of the same underpinnings. Um, and then they had wandered off in terms of, of, you know, where rightful worship was and all that kind of stuff. Well, so kind of so there's some shared history. They were rejected by the Jews. Right, right. Which made them go off on their own, right? 
Right, and actually created their own, I mean, we can go back into the whole history, but created their own temples and places of worship and all that kind of stuff and separated from the Jews. No, not, no. I would say probably not. Yeah, yeah. So really what you have, if you look at Israel today and, and even back then, you had Galilee in the north, which is around the Sea of Galilee. That was the northern kingdom of Israel. You've got Samaria in the center of the country, which is this sort of, I mean, for Jews, kind of a no man's land. And then in the south, you've got Judah, which is where Jerusalem is as well, the southern kingdom. Um, and, and Samaria right in the center of it all. So it, it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic that you've got going on where Jews don't have any dealings with Samaritans, and yet they're living in very close proximity to one another and, and are forced to encounter one another even if they don't have dealings with each other, right? And that still goes on today. Sure does. Yeah. Samaritans um, still do sacrifices right. once a year. <clears throat> yeah. Now there's another question. Why don't the Jews sacrifice? Why don't they do sacrifices anymore? Because the temple's not there. Yeah. Because the only place to do a sacrifice, rightly, is in the temple. And with the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., there's no place to do that. So, so essentially, it's on hold until Christ returns, or until. Until the Messiah comes, the temple, or, or until somebody rebuilds the temple. It, I know you've been to Israel. Anybody else been to Israel? You've been there. Uh, it, it's the the Temple Mount is a fascinating place. Um, when I visited there, and that was 2014, um, our plan. Now, at the time that I was there, this was August of 2014. Um, there was all kind of tension. Hamas was flinging bombs into Israel. There was just all this stuff going on, which was great because there was nobody at any of the places we went to visit. <laughs> but, <laughs> you think there might have been a reason for that? <laughs> <laughs> but but um, what what happened? Now I've lost my train of thought. Temple Mount. Thank you. So our plan for the Temple Mount was: you go early in the morning. I don't know if this is how y'all do it too, but you go early in the morning. And there's one entrance to the Temple Mount, heavily guarded. I mean, you know, a lot of guys with machine guns and all this kind of business. But you go to the Temple Mount, you come in through the security gates and all that kind of stuff, and you immediately go to the far side. And this is a big place. I mean, it's several football fields worth. But you immediately go to the far side because if they shut it down, which happens with some regularity, at least you'll be forced to walk the full length of it before you got to go. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking. Yeah, see? Uh, Thinking. I just thought they wanted to walk a lot. <laughs> well, <laughs> when I was wanted to see it all. We, we walked about 20,000 steps a day. It was pretty crazy. But, but when we got up on top of the Temple Mount, I stood there looking at the, at the mosque in the center and, and all of the stuff going on. And the thought that came into my head was, if you want to start World War III, Mm. Pretty much anything you do up there could do it. Uh, it it's the, the tension that exists in that place is just staggering. Mm -hmm. It's a, a totally different aura mm -hmm. because you get up there and the Muslims are watching you every minute. Absolutely, yeah. There is always somebody attached to you that will attach themselves to your group and listen to your tour guide mm -hmm. to make sure that they don't say anything irreverent. You're not allowed to laugh. I made the mistake of doing that. <laughs> Several people can. Um, but there, there's a tension there. Yeah. And um, where the East Gate, where Christ is going to come back, they actually have a guard tower there like that's going to keep Christ from coming. But... The last time that I went, um, something highly unusual happened, and there was some Jewish rabbis allowed up on the temple. Mm. And they were going only into certain areas. Because you can't get certain places. They, yeah. they were not allowed to go you know, anywhere near the mosque. But it was like, here was their group. Here was the Israeli defense soldiers around them. And then around them were the Muslim guards. So you have this, this huge group, very, very solemn. Mm -hmm. Very, but it, it just has a different aura. Because mm -hmm. there's just, 
there's so much there. Well, and it is, it's just breathtaking to think of the history that exists there. I mean, it's the like, things that have happened there and the presence of God in that place. Yeah, at this spot, this is what happened. Yeah. And, and we look at that mosque and we think, oh, that, that whole thing is just, should be raised to the ground. But in the very middle is the rock where the ark stood, where the Holy of Holies what? was. Yeah. And where the Jews believe where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. In the middle of that building, but um, there, I've read several very detailed books about that building, and it's amazing the layers in history because it's not just off the top. There's rooms and and stuff underneath. There's the full drainage systems and the cisterns for water and all that kind of stuff that are caverns just underneath. And your next trip to Israel is. May have been <laughs> <laughs> it was an inadvertent commercial, but still. <laughs> All right. Thank that, you for that opening. You're welcome. No problem. No. All right. So. <laughs> All right. So back to the Samaritan woman and that narrative that we just heard. Um, why was this woman surprised when Jesus asked her for a drink? Right. Yeah. Jews and Samaritans have no dealings with each other. So the fact that Jesus engages her right off the bat is staggering. That he, even that he says anything to her. Well, they were considered unclean also. So if he were to touch her, right. that would, in Jewish rule, make him unclean. Right. right. And, and actually, that's an interesting thing about Jesus' ministry, because there are several instances where he just doesn't care. <laughs> you, you know, where he touches lepers and he engages with people who would make him unclean. And... It, it, what he's pushing, I think, is a, is a different understanding of the laws of purity and cleanness that are that are rooted in love and rooted in, in care and compassion, um, and and not so much in rule following per se. Like six or seven hundred rules that you have to do for. So, yeah, it's called the mitzvot. Is the is the compilation of all the rules that are in scripture, and six hundred thirteen of them. No. No, really? Well, they, before they eat, they go Oh, everybody's got to go wash a certain way. Yeah. 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 Well, we talked about it, was it last two weeks ago? We had the, the reading about cleanness and purity and all that kind of business. Uh, she was questioning why he did not have a vessel to drink. Yeah, wait a minute. Hang on. You, you're going to give me water? That was his offer to her, right? He offers to give her water, and she's like, with what? I mean, that's basically where she's at, and that's the. So, what kind of water did Jesus offer her? Yeah, living water. So he makes this offer of living water. This this reminds me a little bit. John chapter three is this interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus. You remember that? Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. He's a leader, definitely a member of the Sanhedrin. And he comes to Jesus and he goes, dude, I, I got questions, man. This is kind of intriguing to me. Um, I want to know what's going on. And, and Jesus goes, oh, you got to be born again. And it's like Nicodemus is like, well, I mean, he, no concept of what he's talking about. And you can see Nicodemus and Jesus kind of talking past each other. And Nicodemus just not getting it. And this is the same kind of thing, right? This woman interacts with Jesus and he goes, hey, I'm going to give you some living water. And she's like, what's, what's that? I don't even know what that means. What, how the heck are you going to even get it out of the well? Because you don't have anything. And, and so what you, you know, you kind of see this image of her interacting with the Son of God and not getting what's going on quite yet. Now she'll get there, and, and wow, it's it's going to blow her mind. But she's struggling with this whole idea. So he offers her living water. What's Jesus' comparison of these two kinds of water when she struggles with it? And this is verses 13 and 14, if you got it in front of you. Well, one will quench your thirst. Okay, yeah, one of them's going to quench your thirst, right? right a physical thing. Yeah. The other one's going to do something completely different. And what's the... Yeah. Whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. And she's just thinking it's a physical water that should be never thirsty again. Right. Right. you got to get past... Yeah, what's how's that work? Yeah. <laughs> right. 
How, what do you mean, not, never going to be thirsty again? What does that mean? Same as you won't ever have pain, you won't cry again. None of this stuff. Uh, your earthly needs are gone. Okay. So, with this living water, then does it does it mean that I'm never going to have to drink again? That's what she's asking. That's where she's at, right? Yeah. And he's basically going, no, no, no. <laughs> We're on a different plane here. <laughs> because he's talking about this thirst for spiritual fulfillment. He's talking about this thirst for God, ultimately. And, and if you look back, if you go back to kind of this arc of, of the whole narrative arc of the Bible, go back to the very beginning where God created everything and it was perfect and he put Adam and Eve in there to work it and to and to you know maintain it and all that kind of business and they had this incredible relationship with God where they walked in the garden with him and they talked with him and he was present with them and they were just everything was perfect and then the fall into sin and nothing was the same there was this separation. They were kicked out of the garden. The, the cherubim were set up to, you know, the flaming swords to keep us out. And, and what mankind has experienced ever since is a longing for what was, is a longing for the perfection that was there to begin with. And, and this deep heart understanding that the world that we live in now ain't that, that it's broken. And it doesn't work the way it's supposed to. And, and you don't have to look far to see that. You can look at broken relationships that you've been a part of. You can look at brokenness in the world in terms of rioting. You can look at the brokenness in terms of the environment and how things work. You can look at hurricanes and tornadoes and, and wildfires and all these kind of things and go, that's not how this is supposed to work. And the brokenness of ourselves, yeah. You can look it's, within yourself and see it. It's this hole inside of us, this, right. this where God is supposed to fill it, and we look for other things to fill that, to make us feel 100% worthy. Right. I, I think that's where addictions and and so many other of the psychotic issues that people have come from is this this hole that was created when we were separated from God. Right, right. And the only way to fill it even partially is through Scripture. Right. But the recognition that that hole is going to be there until we are in heaven. Right. And the beauty of Scripture is that's a means of grace that leads you to the one who actually does fill the hole, and that's Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus says to this woman, you drink the water that I give you, you won't ever thirst again. What he's saying is the longing for being in my presence, the longing for perfection, the longing for God that you have felt all along will finally be filled. And Sorry, you still have to live in this broken world until it's all done. But you have the comfort of knowing where you will be. And that and brings you right back to Psalm 23, right? That, that comfort and the, the certainty about what the promise is that God has for us and where we're going to be and how big that is. Eternal life. Eternal life, yeah. And not just eternal life, but eternal life in God's presence. Back to restored the perfection that we had to begin with. That's the thing that we all long for. And that's the hope that Jesus offers. And, and by hope, I don't mean, hey, maybe it'll be like that. It, I mean, like the sure and certainty of knowing that in Christ, we will be there. Cool, huh? All right. You know, it, um, those opening chapters of Genesis with Adam in the moment, I say the woman because she did not have a name. Until after. That's right. Until after right. Uh, God had spoken with them. And then, and, and God said, 
at some point in time she would bear a savior but the savior mm -hmm. and it was at that point in time that adam named his wife life yeah. or eve because she was going to be the mother of all women yeah pretty cool by the way adam's name means dirt <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's it's just a, trans, a transliteration of, of the Hebrew word Ha'adam, which means earth. Dirt. Yeah, <laughs> his name is dirt. Mud. Maybe it means mud. <laughs> sometimes it's called mud. So, <laughs> sorry. There's sometimes plus husbands. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, John, but whatever. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this is the kind of deep theological thinking we do in here. Um, so did she desire the water that Jesus offered? Very much. Yes. Give me. Yeah. But did she get it at first? No, because she was like, ooh, yeah, give me the water. Then I want to come get it out here. It's hot. I don't know. This, this is a lot of work. So, yeah but without realizing really what she was saying she wanted, right? Um, so what's the outcome of the episode and how did the woman finally respond? She finally went back to the village to tell others to come and hear the Okay. She left her pot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Hey, dude. she had the living water, right? She left her pot. Where did it get off to? Yeah. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So not just that. So you're right. Yeah, she left her pot. She left the water jar and went back into town and told people about it. Right? Um, Does it say if people came back with um, her? So let's see. I, I dropped off at 30. Verse 39 says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. There. And then, um, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Cool, huh? Well, she was a seed planner. And yeah, that's a good way to look at it, yeah. And, and I like that progression, too. You know, she said something that, that at least intrigued people. They were, they were willing to come learn more. And then it's Jesus' words that ultimately convert them, that ultimately bring them to this faith and to understanding. And... and what I would offer to you is that's our job too. Not to like beat somebody into submission of faith, right? To say, you've got to believe this. But to say, hey, you know, come, let me tell you what's going on. And let me tell you about what I have heard and know about this guy, Jesus. And then to bring them to the word and to the scriptures and to the preaching and, you know, all that kind of stuff to learn more so that the Holy Spirit can do what he does through the means of grace. You know, our job is to be witnesses, is to tell what our experience has been, to share with people. And that's what she did. Hey, you know, come meet this guy who told me everything I ever did. And it's when people come and they encounter Jesus himself and his word that they actually come to faith because that's a God thing. We get to be seed planters. And that's not so hard. And then he stayed with them. Yeah. Yeah, he hung around. Doing God work. <laughs> right. With people that received him, too. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times he, people didn't want to hear it. Yeah, the the Shake the dirt off your feet and move on. All right. Any other thoughts on that? Um. Question number 10 is list ways that we can respond to Jesus' offer of living water. So I'll just throw it out and say, what do you want to do with that question? And really the question is, all right, so what does this mean for me? What do I do when I walk out of here today? 
guess we're supposed to start planning those seeds out there. It's a get to, not a have to. Right? What a blessing that we get to share this gift with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I read I read a blurb about it once that um, our job is I mean if you're if you're a gardener in any way, you know you go out and you till the soil and you put the seed down and and then you just let it grow. You give it some water, maybe some fertilizer. And that's what we're supposed to do, but so many of us, especially with family members, are in that family member space all the time. Listen, listen, listen. But a gardener doesn't go out to their garden every year and yell uh, every day and yell at them. Come on, grow, 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 grow. Do that. <laughs> but, but, you know, we're, we're not supposed to be battering somebody all the time about what they should believe and are they believing you yet and what are your doubts or something like that. We don't have to be the ultimate apologists. I believe you don't have to tell everybody uh, not how they can become what you want them to be, but tell them how you became what God That's, yeah. to be. I, I think it's much more powerful to tell your story and to share what Jesus has and done. And use the name Jesus yes. and Jesus Christ. Right. Yeah. Because with that's the power. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about what he does. And there's something in my heard on Luther hour this morning, but I can't quote him, but I can quote from uh, some motivational things that I've heard. Uh, people don't care how much you know until you know how much they care. Yeah, yeah. And he put it a different way than that. But anyway, same thing. Yeah. And the, I think the encouragement in all of that is the reminder that our witnessing and our sharing of those stories are most effective in the context of a relationship. That, that the soil that receives that best is the soil where it's somebody who you know and who knows you and who loves you and cares about you and with whom you've invested time and energy and, and there's actually a relationship there. And so you can go to the gas station and you know, tell the person at the next pump about Jesus. That's cool. That's good. But, but I think the most effective way that you do that is when you talk to somebody who you actually have a relationship with. And, and you look for those opportunities to just say, hey, like you said, can, you know, let me, let me tell you what God has done for me. He loves you too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, we, we get to live our lives as examples and as witnesses um, so that hopefully we have an opportunity to share a reason for the hope that is within us, but always with gentleness and respect. I read that in the book. Mm-hmm. Pastor. The one uh, challenge, I guess it is for us, mm-hmm. um, how many close friends do we have that are not Christians? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how many Samaritans do you know? In, in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. So we try and find ourselves in situations where we can share that and where we can have relationships. <laughs> All right, any final thoughts, anybody? Um, We'll be in chapter 8 next week. I will have the new sheet posted online early this week, and I'll have it printed next week. Um, Any other comments, thoughts, complaints, observations? The surveys come out. We have we have a hundred. Last I looked, which was yesterday, we had 126, I think. Um, so pretty good number. Um, and today is the deadline, so we'll ask if you haven't taken the survey yet um, for the study team. There are copies in the Narthex, and it's oh, it's only 10 questions. It's pretty straightforward. So you can go through those and turn in a paper copy, or on our website and Facebook, there's the link, and you can do it online if you'd like. I did it online, but I'm not really sure it went through. Got it. How do we know? Um, it, when you submit the final question, it should say thank you and say it's submitted. So if you didn't see that, go ahead and take it again. Because I kept feeling like it was not. 
Okay. Did you take it immediately on Sunday afternoon when we introduced no, it? No, probably took it a couple of days later. Okay. Cause, and the reason I asked that is there were some problems with it. It was dropping the last question. And I think it only affected six people. But it was dropping the last question. We had to make some tweaks to fix it. But it, it has been, it was fixed Sunday evening when we released it. So, yes, ma'am. Why was there not a place to put whether you a. Which of the four positions? Right. So, the, the thinking behind that was to gather information to see if it would lead us to one of the four positions. And then the, the recommendation that the study team will make will be based on that. And they'll explain hey, this is how we arrived at this recommendation. And then the congregation will get to vote. So it, it was, I, I, I won't say it was like totally intentional, but the idea was to gather information that would suggest which one would be the best fit. Yeah. You have a strong feeling one way or the other? Okay. Do you want to share it? You don't have to. Uh, what I would say is if you have a strong feeling about that, talk to anybody on the study team and let them know. Well, I put a little note on my survey. Okay. Where it said if you said other. Yeah, and you filled it in with your. So I, I, okay. I put it in there. I don't know if it. That will come through, and they will get to see that. Yeah. Now you know who it was. <laughs> <laughs> your secret's safe with me. <laughs> and everybody else? Yeah. You yeah. don't need advertisements now. All right. Any other thoughts, questions? Yeah. I'm sure that we're we're mark, that. we mark on our paper copy of the four yeah. very clearly which yeah. one. Oh, you highlighted one of them, so this is what we think? Oh, yeah. Associate good. pastor. Okay. All right. <laughs> cool. feel very strongly about that. Yeah, okay. Good. Well, I did the director of family. And this is why we did the survey. <laughs> really, truly. That's important yes. because... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The church is a democratic organization and everybody gets an You're equal right. vote. Yeah. In a sense. <laughs> Unless you fill it out online and the piece of paper, <laughs> which I may have to do. I'll chafe at that a little bit. But what I will say is the Office of the Keys is given to the church as a whole. Yes. And, and so if we're going to call somebody, it's going to be the whole congregation making that call. And so we, it needs to be based on the feelings and the, and the sentiments of the whole congregation. Several people have said, well, just ask Pastor Longman what he wants. And that's what we should do. And it's like... No, we're going to do what we need to do, all of us. I'm just the guy who stands up and, you know, does the public stuff. There's a thought. There's a thought. Let's pray about it and do that instead. All right. <laughs> so let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this study and the time that we had to, to take your word and to turn it over in our hands and to look at it and to let it work on our hearts and and we just we thank you for all of the ways that you use those means of grace to build our faith. Um, we we lift up our congregation into your hands as we seek to fill a vacancy, and we just pray for your guiding and your leading so that we would we would hear and respond to where you want us to go. Um, so make it clear um, what that position should look like and and what the responsibilities should be and and where that person can most help grow your church in a way that. Uh, that uh, is, is in line with what you're already doing here. Um, we know you're in charge of it. We know the growth comes because of you. And so we just pray that you would help us to staff appropriately for whatever you're up to. Uh, so be with us as we go forth today. Guide and lead us in all that we do, that it might be pleasing to you and glorify your name. All of it we ask in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.